Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app. Welcome to the Shoot the Power Show and Ready for Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijar Nathan, and um, we're here today with Sarah Sala, who is a poet, educator, and native Michiganer. Her debut poetry collection, Devil's Lake, was recently named a finalist for the 2017 Sabido Press Book Prize and a chapbook of her selected poetry, The Ghost Assembly Line, also available at Queens Library, was published by Finishing Line Press in spring 2016. Her poem, Hydrogen, was featured in the Elements episode of NPR's hit radio show, uh, Radio Lab, in collaboration with uh, Emotive Fruition. Fruition. Um, She is a founding director of Office Hours Poetry Workshop, which fosters community among POC, LGBTQ+, and women identified adjunct instructors. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for for having me. Thank you. So why don't we start off a little bit about your um, native Michigan and her... 
Michigander. Yeah, Michigander. Uh, Michigander. It's a funny word, right? Yeah. It yeah like it's, it's, somebody just made it up. Some gandered at it. Um, <laughs> Michigan is beautiful. Yeah. It's it's a land of lakes. I I've heard and I've never tested this, but you can't drive in any direction more than three miles without hitting a lake. So it's very verdant in the summer, and you can just go from lake to lake and. There's lovely people there too. Yeah, yeah, and also I, I feel like there's a lot of the culture and the culture of the, uh, I think you, you mentioned to me about textiles and your interest right. in textiles and art. Mm -hmm. And you talk a little bit about it, kind of your interest in art and, uh, and sure. fabrics. Yeah, sure. I've always really been drawn to paintings, paintings, music, um, any anything color oriented too in terms of textiles. I currently work in the textile industry um, and I also have synesthesia. Um, so I see color sometimes. Um, a piece of writing that's very, very good and crisp and beautiful is blue, wow. uh, like a bright sky blue. And a piece that isn't ready yet or needs revision is orange. Um, so sometimes when I'm working in the textile industry and just pulling lots of samples, I'll actually get like visually fatigued by color. <laughs> yeah, um, interesting. But it, it's, it's fascinating. Sounds so I love this field because it tickles a part of my brain differently than writing, but I still feel like I'm working creatively. Yeah, very good, very good. And I went over a uh, Go Assembly line and uh, samples from the Devil's um, uh, Lake. And uh, yeah, I really was struck by how you're able to um, weave in you know, personal recollections and personal experiences with the, the culture of um, you know, culture of America, specifically in regards to um, some of the serious topics of, of the culture wars and mm -hmm. how like some, some, a lot of poets sometimes are kind of fearful of treading into waters I feel you swim very well in. So Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I think I, a lot of times I'll take the personal and try to make it universal or take a very small intimate moment and spin it out into something that's happening um, in a larger way just to try to understand it too. Mm. Um, I come from Michigan and not everybody agrees with, you know, I've lived in the city almost 10 years now um, and I think sometimes when I go home I'm perceived as like this liberal snowflake like yeah. lesbian woman who like has nothing in common and i'm grossly exaggerating um and actually i have great conversations and debates with people um who are more conservative and have very different opinions um but i think the way that i can connect to things is you know i think about school shootings i think about being a teacher um and in blue dog uh, a mascot came into my classroom and literally just put the fear in us yeah and I was so afraid from that moment that I didn't talk to anyone about it for two weeks mm -hmm. until I wrote that poem. So, yeah, just, well, yeah, sorry. Why don't we start a little bit with the, with the reading and then from maybe from Blue Dog, but also I'll just set off by saying like, my, also as you were saying, to follow up on what you were saying, that uh, these are intimate moments, but also how they connect with these larger narratives of the political landscape and, and how it seems like it's really connecting for, I think, the reader will get that, so. I'll let you read Blue Dog then, yeah. Do you want me to read through a few? Or? I'll read through Blue Dog okay. and maybe the, 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 do you have the Thanksgiving one? Or I think I have the. Oh yeah, if, yeah. You, if you have yeah, the Thanksgiving have the, one yeah. too, sure. Yeah, oh, that's definitely yeah. a Michigan that's poem. That's definitely a Michigan poem, yeah. Right, because I can say a little bit about them too. Yeah, those two I think connect well with the. Uh, Great, yeah. yeah. Um, Blue Dog, Blue Dog. Mid-sentence while teaching a freshman seminar, a stranger in a Blue Dog costume enters. Blue Dog paces in eerily, without saying a word, mimes his threadbare mitts for us to carry on. I search the shadow box of mesh beneath its battered plastic eyes for any indication of what's next. Where an ID card should rest, an empty plastic case swings. 
When Blue Dog speaks, his voice is crushed gravel. One time I buried a bone. I buried a bone, then I dug it up. I feel a part of me leave my body. When it's over, he walks out. Five days later, an Oregon Community College student shoots his English teacher and nine others. The gunman says, I've wanted to do this for years. So that one was from New Jersey. And this Thanksgiving poem uh, is definitely a Michigan poem. It's called Thanksgiving Break 2009. I have Christopher Kaldemeyer actually to, to thank for challenging me to write a poem over a Thanksgiving break. An armed robber holds up the Meyer gas station Saturday, demands cigarettes and money. Hours later, hits the Rite Aid for more cash. By Monday, he's unstoppable, knocking over Huntington Bank in broad daylight, barefaced and brandishing a grin for security cameras. Radios belts live coverage of the funny filter, robbing a CVS pharmacy Tuesday morning as Barb waits for my plane to land. One overexcited resident blurts, Adrian is the new Manhattan. My sister's high school issues a lockdown. The gunman holds up a clerk at Walmart. On the move, he revisits the Meyer gas station, carjacking a pickup truck. Gun leveled at the woman's face, he hisses, I'll shoot you and your baby. We're all rooting for him. Thank you, thank you. So yeah, it's interesting how you weave in, uh, in this poem, in the last poem, weave in the intimacy of violence, but also the kind of fetishization or the romanticization of uh, gun violence as being like they're vigilantes or they're some kind of, they're some kind of they have some kind of a hero worship you know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting. This poem, um, the town of Adrian. I re I was recently there, and my partner. One of the things that she noticed right away, she said, "There's a lot of poverty here, isn't there?" Um, and and that's a poem where, during the recession, a lot of farmers were actually uh, holding up banks and things like that. So one part of me was like, "It's badass that people are like robbing banks and like taking money back, whatever." And the other part of me was like, "This is so." heartbreaking yeah. to see that like regular citizens are, are feel forced to you know commit violent acts just to survive or feel like they need to yeah and you know the way that the um uh you weave in also uh our intimate the, the domestic life and our academic life your life and uh the humor is also important to recognize uh maybe one thing that kind of weaves into it uh, there's a poem, The News, mm -hmm. which I believe I, I flagged as being like a kind of a good middle ground between the personal and, and, the, and the national narrative, where you talk a little bit about um, some medical news that we received, I guess, or mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that poem, yeah. Sure. Do you want me to read it first? Or? Well, first, you can do a little setup, and then you can read sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so The News is, I read very often... Um, I, I read the news every single day, whether it's the yeah. New York Times, the Detroit News, um, you know, Facebook feeds, all these things. I it's it's my ritual, um, and it will very often weave into my poems too. So this was from an article um, where I don't like the term illegal alien. I don't think yeah. any humans are illegal, but the article said an illegal alien, you know, had been deported from a hospital before she could have a brain. Um, tumor removed mm. and it really struck me um, because I actually was going through uh, I have a cyst in my brain that 
Last November, it was 7.5 centimeters, but I just got a scan yesterday, actually, and it's nine centimeters now, nine by nine centimeters. So if you visualize 7.5 centimeters, that's about the size of a credit card mm. um, or the length of a wrapper on a Crayola crayon. So this one really impacted me um, because I felt like that could be me in a different life, you know, being deported, just trying to get medical treatment. So the news. Today, federal officials apprehended an undocumented brain tumor and transported her to a detention center. 45 declared, we're getting the really bad dudes out of this country and at a rate that nobody's ever seen before, and they're the bad ones. For weeks, my brain tumor crashed through the, wa my brain crashed through the water black basement of alternate galaxies before coming to a halt on my pillow. This tumor and I, we share the same name. You have a beautiful brain, my neurologist beamed. A printout of alpha waves trailed across his legs. See that gap? That's where you blinked. In the old French, to deport is to be patient. What is language but the genesis of crime? 45's vice his tongue to drive out by order. I feel dizzy with pain, heavy eyes, nausea. The tongue is not always responsive. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. I can't imagine also experiencing this. The quote at the end is from her um, in a second language, trying to explain to yourself, you know, or to the media why you don't want to be deported, but also your symptoms to a doctor. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very clear, like, when we have, like, these personal narratives, that sometimes in the political narratives, we lose sight of the human story and the human right. element. That's very easy to kind of talk abstractly about ideas about... Uh, you know, whether or not, you know, um, about immigration in general or about, you know, crime rates, all these statistics. But it's when you get Absolutely. down to the, the ground level of the human story, we're having, seeing a very different picture, yeah. I guess we have to read the news saying every single person is me. Yeah. Um, I, I read a student poem once where the kid was narrating being on the train um, and they looked at a person. I think they said, if I, if I pretend every person on the train is me, I'm more likely to look at them with love. Mm. They said it more eloquently than that. But um, yeah, I think we absolutely have to think this could be me. This could be my son or daughter or my uncle or my aunt or something because we have to bring the humanity back into our politics. Yeah, I think a lot of people have this fear of compassion fatigue. Right. But actually, I think that when you, when you start to look at, uh, as you're saying, everyone as me, uh, there, there's an overwhelming sense of compassion and love that can be empowering and very right. uh, can perpetuate itself as no but what do you think about the, the idea of like you know feeling overwhelmed or there's so mm -hmm. much so many people out there that are suffering and, I know. definitely think it's exhausting and you can we can all spin out or be depressed sometimes I have to shut the news off sometimes I'll read a headline and I can't I can't read the article that day or something too but what I try to do is find something good in every person or every situation. For instance, like um, I have a family member who I went to visit and I had just gotten engaged um, and this person was like a Trump supporter uh, and a racist, had racist views and things like that. Uh, and I, to me, that's very off-putting. It's very yeah. tough. It's a, like a family member. But I sat with this person and I tried to really get to the bottom of their political views and their beliefs. And it came to the fact that he just wanted a better life for his kids um, and after he's gone. Mm. And I was like, that's a really beautiful sentiment. I don't know how we got all the other layers on top yeah. of that. 
But that was really hard for me to like sit with that. You know, I usually I'm just like, what the hell? Like the Obamas are like everything. Like they're beautiful. I wish we were still living in that like time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So just trying to see the humanity in everybody. Yeah, I think it's important also even with your poetry when you have like a t when you when you're kind of on the under the under the attack or whatever. Like there was one poem about. Uh, a letter that was, I guess, you received actually right, received that yeah. was a homophobic attack, and mm -hmm. being able to transform that or being able to see, you know, in my reading of it at least, it was like being able to see use those words in their erasure right. to be able to recontextualize your understanding of that. and kind of take my yeah. power back too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Tell us a little bit so, more about that. Yeah, yeah to to say that um, I sent out a save the date, uh, and a family member sent back a letter, which, I mean, it's hard to get any kind of, you know. I, I would call this a homophobic letter. The person was kind of just like witnessing to me, you know, in her faith, which is which is totally fine. That's that's her prerogative. But I, I felt like it was a silent shame imposed on me. And being an artist, I felt like I needed to regain my power, and I needed to make. I needed to erase this and create art from it as kind of like self care. So I really credit. Uh, the Commonplace podcast with Rachel Zucker uh, in the episode where C.A. Conrad talks about teaching um, in their creative writing class and one of the assignments they gave the students was to write about something that was like devastating or really difficult and if you can write about that you can write about anything. So I listened to that whole podcast episode to like prepare myself to get into a mental state. I typed up this letter um, and then with compassion, I just had some fun with it, too. Yeah. There's a lot of kooky stuff uh, <laughs> that came out of this letter. And it kind of healed it for me. It made it into art. And also, I mean, if you send me some spicy letters like, <laughs> and you sign your name, you published it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to take it and run with it. Good, good. Um, would you like to read that one? Sure. I have this one over here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have two versions of it yeah, okay. um, so far. It's called... On receiving a homo homophobic letter, a series of erasures. My dear, I wish I spent more time living, but I've never understood how. Recently, I grabbed a pen. I worked on the answer to my life. I felt a jet, a magnet, a pancake, a chair, a doormat. Every cell, every molecule in my body. I'm not sure how. All I can say is I'm super not special. I used to talk to almost anyone and feel great love. I plead to you, go against the fullness you were meant to have. And this is the second version of the same text. Sarah, you're unbelievable. You know everyone. You came to mind because I didn't know what to do. At the age of 18, I decided to go down south. I spent three years in my kitchen. Unexplainingly, I lay there with no body. When I stood and said, I really don't know you, but you better get your seatbelt on. And I am now filled with his children. I'm so used to miracles, I can't even talk about them. Very <laughs> yeah, good. So I'm laughing as I read yeah. them because they're just, they're funny. Yeah. You know? And for people who may not be familiar with the Erasure poems, like basically you have a, a longer text, which then mm -hmm. you redact certain things so on the page also you have either the redaction or empty space where right. those words would have been or basically where we imagine those words would have been so right a lot of, like i know that the people are doing now new york times erasures absolutely there's new york times so erasures. erasures yeah um you can actually do it with a sharpie yourself too 
Um, for me, I think the first thing that I erased was my name. Yeah. Kind of like take my name out of your mouth. Uh, and this person was like, well, I wish I had been around more. Like then you wouldn't be a gay person. And I, I, I really, I love this person. I, I feel compassion for them. Everybody has their, you know, their starting place to expand their, their world vision. Um, I would say if it hasn't happened to you, maybe you can't understand yet, you know. Um, but also, I'm like their niece, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, come get to know me, come experience compassion with me and empathy and, and meet my partner and, and see what our life is like, too. Um, so there is a third part, which I'm kind of working on. Um, that I can read too, yeah, um, sure. which I just made everything into love too. Sarah, you are my heart. I wish I spent more time getting to know you. At 20, the angels I thought were helping me had to go. Everything was going south in my marriage. I was in a jet blast with no feeling. I'm not sure how long it was. You're turning a new page. I feel great love for you. You are my heart. You, you, you. So there's so many versions of this, you thank know? You, thank you. Yeah. It's so great how you're able to show like the personal top to the emotional landscapes and mm -hmm. how explore them and explore that community landscape, community emotional landscape, right. you know? Right. How we all kind of are part of that, that um, terrain, yeah. Yeah, I, I read these at the University of Edinburgh. Um, Carrie Homan invited me to read there for their uh, launch of Chimera, their undergrad magazine. And I mean, to be honest, I mean, I'm from Michigan, but it was like a, it seemed like a small conservative, you know, like town that we were coming to. And I know it's a university and I've lived in New York for like 10 years. So I was like, well, we're going from like very blue to red, but my perception was completely off. It was like a very welcoming, uh, reading and I read these poems and, and I don't know how many kids came up to me afterwards uh, you know like gay students who were like that was fucking beautiful like you were so funny I love that you took what could have been shameful and made it public and playful um, other people have offered to give me texts that they've gotten from family members to kind of reclaim them too I've thought about doing an anthology of them or just making broadsides yeah. Kind of just like, you sent me this thing that's supposed to make me feel miserable, and I made it into art, and it's hanging on my wall, you know? Excellent. Great, great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, yes, yeah, so other topics, I think, about uh, kind of the humor in domestic life and academic life you bring up, and uh, your experiences just finding the, the absurdity as we're kind of jumping off from there, the absurdity of, like, excuses that students give you. Right. It was a really great poem. Yeah. Uh, that's a fun one. We can go into that one, and then... Uh, we can kind of launch into a little bit more in domestic and and uh, your feelings towards uh, towards that, yeah. Sure, yeah. life is absurd. Yeah. Um, I have I have a good sense of humor. It's it's one um, of I think my better qualities, and it's a really good survival um, instinct too. So uh, this was when I was teaching at Bergen Community College in New Jersey, and there was a semester where we had I think six snow days. Which for me, it was like the jackpot. I was like, this is the yeah. best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. This is wonderful. That's like a secret, you know, secret in <laughs> quotations that the, stu the students, you know, never would guess. But these are actually just copied and pasted from emails. Yeah. Attendance. A catalog. My car broke down. My mother became someone I didn't recognize. I had a relapse. My sister got beat up. 
I felt the tremendous anxiety of living. No buses go there. I had an abortion. I'm bedridden with the virus. My ex-boyfriend robbed me. I couldn't find parking. One of my animals died and the other is sick. I fell asleep and didn't wake up. My grandma is having a mastectomy. We're pulling the plug on my aunt today. I had to pick my rat up from the vet. A power surge broke all the light bulbs in my house. Twitter released my home address. I'm driving my mother to work. I'm sliding in the snow. I got a speeding ticket. I went snowboarding. I'm in holding. My ankle is broken. I didn't understand the assignment. Thank you, thank you. It's so funny how, like, actually this reminds me of, in my first collection, Escape from Samsara, I wrote mm -hmm. down box office graffiti poem. Oh, cool. Which is basically a similar kind of motif where I took graffiti, written in the box office of the theater. That's awesome. And in the review, the reviewer says, I don't get this poem at all. <laughs> like, I called the poem box office graffiti. I oh, that's so funny. You know, yeah. I, they didn't understand that it was a catalog of I was going to say, it's, yeah. it's so interesting to catalog things that we keep seeing as repetitions in the world, too. Yeah. And I think that's how our minds our minds work. We, we keep noticing the same things, too. So it's... The patterns, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's neat to see them all juxtaposed. And also... The more, the more serious with the more absurd and, absolutely, and putting right? them next to each other makes for an amazing effect. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like playing a keyboard of emotions. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, students are really frank. Yeah. I'll, I'll tease them at the beginning of the semester, like, don't tell me about, you know, your, like, your wisdom teeth that are, like, impacted, <laughs> or, like, don't send me photos of stuff. I'm like, just pretend I'm squeamish, and I will I'll believe you. Like, <laughs> if you say you're sick, you have sick days, take them. Um, but even so, these, these are the tame emails that I get. Yeah. So you also have some poems about, uh, like, there was one poem in particular I was thinking about, about uh, kind of relationships and interpersonal. If mm -hmm. you want to pull one or if uh, you like. I sure. Think, yeah, this, there's a few good ones where you deal with, uh, yeah, I think I marked it, yeah, where you deal with the interpersonal relationships and, and with, with your... Um, Sure, I'm thinking of like Infinite Fish. Infinite um, Fish, yeah, that was the one. Yeah, that was the one. I think it was really good. Do you have it um, there? It might be in this chapbook. I love that I don't know. Oh, here it is. It is. Yeah, it's an Infinite yeah. Fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, when my love and I lay senseless in the wool pack of sleep, I recall the coma, nebulous cloud of ice and dust sublimating around the nucleus of a comet. And it becomes the fuzz of a workday burned up in commuter traffic or lost in the oort cloud of meetings. When my partner steps out for work, I get a twinge of losses. Then comes the plush feeling of domesticity, that infinite fish turning inside me. On the same night as the Charleston church shooting, I listened to a scientist's recording of a plant dying of thirst. It sounds like the first drops of rain striking an air conditioner then a torrential downpour into nothingness. In America, it's possible for a white supremacist to sit in a prayer meeting for an hour before murdering nine black parishioners. The living ask, where do we go to get free? Where do we go to live? The human heart weighs as much as a can of Coke. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, and I really liked how you brought out um, the uh, orc cloud you know, lost in or cloud in meetings. Mm -hmm. I think that really struck me uh, in this poem in particular. Uh, there was a couple other poems that you brought out 
kind of the scientific. Yes, I'm and, obsessed and, with yeah, science. Can you talk a little bit about like the influence of that? And, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Math and science were not my strong suit in high school and college, but I was fascinated by them. Um, so I'm fascinated by what I can pull into a poem. So I was thinking, you know, when we're sleeping, we could be anywhere. We're kind of just off spinning. And this poem I wrote when my partner still lived in Park Slope. Um, and I think there was um, a violent act that had been, uh, I don't know if it was a murder or like someone beat up severely a trans person. And I was thinking like, sometimes the only place that we're safe as like a community of like LGBTQ plus people is when we're sleeping or for myself, like when I'm unconscious, I don't have to think about these things. Um, so my mind instantly goes to science. I'm like, you know, we're spinning um, around the sun and there's the Oort cloud is a ton of comets um, too. So I think of the city, there's like all these people commuting and we're spinning around like this rock, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but we are just like human beings too. Yeah. What also this brings up in me is when I was living in Brooklyn, there was this um, wanted, I don't know if it was a wanted, but it was something looking for information about a crime that had happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, it kind of disturbed me, but also, like, I remember that night I went to sleep and I had this dream where I was, like, basically like a, a Hardy Boys kind of a thing. Okay. That I was, like, going through the neighborhood investigating oh, yeah. this, uh, this crime. So it was interesting how it would resonate with what you're saying is how, right. you know, the, the, there are all these violence and how. We try to find our power spaces to be able to feel not mm, to not yeah. feel helpless or, or right. you know powerless you know right. yeah and the kind of seed for this poem too was um, I'm kind of betraying how much I spend time on social media but it can be a very uh, in inspirational place for me for poems sometimes um, I'll t I'll tweet something or I'll I'll notice something that later becomes a poem mm. um, but I just saw my community grieving. Um, over this, this shooting in Charleston. And um, it was a, a post from the poet Delana Dameron, actually, that it was just so full of grief and so sad that kind of rocked me and made me really think about, you know, my, how I would, um, not like attached to it, but like how I would orbit this tragedy. Um, and then I really did listen to a plant dying of thirst. Yeah. Uh, and it, made me really empathize with just like plants in the natural world like we're all just trying to survive and there's some violent ugly things um but there are beautiful people who are you know trying to heal with us too and trying yeah. to make space for other people this also reminds me about as far as social media tragedies go there was a story about a young uh, hasidic boy i believe who mm -hmm. in brooklyn who had been kidnapped and then he'd been like basically dismembered or something. Wow. It was a really horrific wow, story. Yeah. I, I remember it had been trending on Facebook, I believe, around that time. I don't think time. I and heard about that. It was no. a couple, it was several years ago. I think it was five, six years ago, but um, it, I remember it had been circulating a lot. Right. And it was just very disturbing, but um, also, as you're saying, like how the community comes together right, and absolutely. tries to heal from some, some horrific events like that. And I think that the good thing about social media is that for the most part, although there are some ugly sides to it, for the right. most part, they do try to resound better with healing and with trying to you know, yeah. make wounds, you know, heal wounds. Um, and just expressing that grief too. Yeah, and, and expressing is very important to find the community in that expression. Yeah. Right. Yeah, go ahead. And that's, that's another way to, I mean, I don't understand how you would have to humanize the Charleston church yeah. shooting, you know what I mean? But somebody could say, well, I'm not black or I'm not down south, that doesn't yeah. apply to me. Um, but if you see someone you love 
grieving or even if it's a stranger, you know what I mean? Uh, that definitely brings a more human perspective to that. And I think, you know, I don't know how many shootings we've had so far in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a catastrophic number. Yeah. And a lot of them don't get reported on or, you know, we're like, oh, well, good. It wasn't me. I wasn't in that movie theater. I wasn't in, you know, that school. I, I wasn't in that newsroom. Um, but it could happen anywhere. And to me, it's not a political issue. It's a human issue. Like, we should be protecting people. Exactly, exactly. And I think that when we think about um, these kind of so-called cultural wars, we're thinking about really about, um, you know, a placement of focus, and we need to return the focus to the human yes. story and the human element. Absolutely. Always return the story to these are human beings who are struggling, who are, you know, grappling with all these same kind of absurdities in life's uh, same. difficulties. Yeah. The finite human element, yeah. Absolutely, so, yeah. and I think I think just reading and being poets and being writers or artists makes us um, have a depth of compassion that other people may have to pursue other ways or may not have or something too. I think being a poet is being raw. It's being open. It's it's calling um, a thing what it is too. You know, like it's calling out gun violence. It's calling out racism uh, in in the United States and abroad and, and things like that too. So I think it can be a very powerful uh, mouthpiece. So I think there was another one I was thinking about the thematically, um, where you have uh, about uh, consumption mm, and that yeah. kind of calling out um, the consumer culture. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, what my reading of it is is about uh, how uh, you know in the larger scheme of things, I think that we we tend to think of us as just buying the new iPhone or buying the new right. whatever. And losing sight, you lose sight of the fact that you want to read that one. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, this is consumption. um, This one kind of talks about how we're destroying planet Earth. Yeah. Uh, In in 2017, there were all these scientific discoveries that are amazing, um, but I never would have known unless I Googled them. Mm -hmm. So, consumption. Now, when the planet made its efforts to break free... A FedEx employee discovered M77232917, the largest prime number ever decoded. Scientists mined ice on Mars, bands of snow dating back a million years, discovered Earth's lost eighth continent and seven new planets in the Goldilocks zone, neither too hot nor too cold to sustain life. Other disasters that now seem miserable Elections, wildfires, mudslides, and influenzas. Humans did not let rain, floating night, or tomorrow stop Earth's leave going. Consumption, the naked invader we mistook for king. Thank you, thank you. So, um, why don't we talk a little bit about Office Hours Poetry Workshop? Sure. And how you're able to facilitate uh, community, yeah. Absolutely. So, Office Hours. Uh, is a free workshop designed for adjunct instructors, um, for people of color, LGBTQ plus individuals, and women-identified um, people. It's, it's been amazing to foster this community. I started this workshop actually when I was unemployed and needed a workshop, or I felt like I had a need, and I had no money that I could um, spend... Should we just keep going through this? Yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. I had no money that I could spend on joining a workshop. Um, and I was just really, really encouraged to... As a woman, I had so much doubt, too. I was like, can I do this? Am I smart enough? What if I lead the workshop? And, like, 
no one wants to come or things like that. So it started out really scrappy. We meet at Kettle of Fish on Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. Everybody um, emails a poem the Friday before, and it's completely launched itself. Um, we've got funding from poets and writers. Um, we have a wait list. Awesome. Now I think we're about two years in. There's phenomenal poets and writers. Um, Yin Yi actually was in our workshop uh, this semester who just won the Yale Younger Poets Prize. And we can't take any credit. Uh, there was like two workshops, and he was like, I just won the Yale Younger. He would never say that. He's the most actually down-to-earth, kind, conscientious human ever. Um, but it's a cool range and mix of people, all different ages. Um, you know, some people are in their 40s or 50s, and some people just came out of the MFA. Or Yin Yi is about to start his MFA. Uh, so it's a great mix of community. Good, good. Thank you, thank you. And um, let's see, what else we got here? Um, so let's talk about art, a little bit of Rocco and art. Sure. Because Rocco comes out a lot in your... Uh, yeah. I had to Google him, I honestly. Like, I kinda, really? I remembered vaguely, but uh -huh. I, I, I couldn't connect it. So when I read his name, I was I know this, but I had to f make sure I remembered which... Of course, uh, yeah. painting he did. He did the, the, he did the colors. Tell us a little bit about He that. did. So yeah. I think actually reading about Rothko made me more interested in him than just seeing the paintings at first because they're, they're really like, I don't know, like a stripe of red, a stripe of blue. It's one of those things where you walk through a museum and like your dad can be like, hey, I'll paint that for a million dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah. Um, not to sell him short, but... I, I read um, a biography of him where it talked about the, his paintings are a deep sounding of emotions, their grief, their rage, their uh, desire, these huge human emotions that we sit with, like kind of like an oceanic feeling. Um, and so the Rothko poems, I actually, um, someone posted on Facebook, uh, a series of five photos from the Rothko Chapel down in Houston, I believe. Texas, and my uncle had just passed away, and I was sitting in a park, um, and these paintings spoke to me. I could actually access that emotion, the purples, like the deep vibrancy of like this chapel, and I just kind of associated and, and wrote a series of poems from those. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's so interesting when you, uh, these kinds of poems inspired by art. Ekphrastic. Ekphrastic, yeah. yeah. So, so interesting, and I think, do you think people need to have gone and Look at the specific work that you're referencing, or do you think they can just? Uh, how, how do you think that? Do you think it'll enhance it if they go and really view? Well, it's my intent to write a poem on the page that stands alone. Yeah. Um, it might become a completely different experience reading it on the page. Mm. Um, Martin Rock actually wrote an entire book about Rothko, and it's really neat because he has the painting on the left side and the poem on the right. Yeah. So that's one way to experience it. Um, I think it's fine if yeah. people look at the the paintings afterwards. I actually don't even indicate what they are. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think yeah. they become something different. Also, it's like a new piece of art uh, once you write a poem about them. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we'll be wrapping up, but I think a few more uh, comments about um, what else is coming up for you. Anything else coming up for you that you want to uh, return to, or any of the themes? Uh, themes of the book. I'm I'm just really working on a revision of this right now. Um, yeah. Nature poem uh, is a really to me interesting um, piece because it, it deals with erasures and strikeouts. Uh, the poem comes from two women were hiking 
um, in a park and a 23 year old guy stalked them and shot at them and killed actually um, the girl's girlfriend. Oh, is that the opening poem? Oh, uh, that's that's the poem one that the, one ends. It's po- towards oh, the end. Okay, ending poem. It's yeah. a, it's about a six page poem of oh, erasures. Yeah. Yeah. Erasures, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So that's that's been a really like close to the to the bone poem for me too because I love nature. I love science. And there's this idea of like can can queer people, can our community be safe in nature? Um, and I, I think sometimes people don't understand if they're outside of that, if they're like cisgendered or straight or, or white or whatever, um, this form of privilege of just being in nature and being yourself without fearing someone coming after you too. Because yeah. um, one thing we didn't mention was about the, um, yeah, as you're saying about this kind of thing, gender roles and gender, um, Expectations, I guess, is the word. Right. I don't know, like how people's yeah. society perceives. Right. Uh, there was some, some few of the poems had deal, dealt with kind of how people perceive femininity right. and how they perceive that's true. Being a woman. There was one thing called woman or uh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. How to be a woman on a subway right. train and yeah. not be attacked, basically. Yeah. yeah. That one kind of channels Jamaica Kincaid's um, mm. short prose piece girl mm-hmm. where that one tells you straight up how to be a woman like yeah. you know this is how you act in a bakery so that the baker will let you touch the bread yeah. basically so you're not seen as like a, a bad woman or something yeah, yeah. so I, I think you're hitting on a theme there like what is it to be a woman alive right now with mm. misogyny and things like that and and what what is it to be erased actually to have your your queer history erased from so many textbooks. Um, I read this really cool book that goes and looks at historical figures like Abraham Lincoln had like a quote, best friend that slept in his bed, um, but he also had a wife, right? So they talk about his like queer history or like Eleanor Roosevelt had a relationship with a woman, Lorena Hickok, while she was first lady. Mm. This is not stuff that was in my textbook as yeah. a kid growing up. And there's, there's so many of these stories that would have been beautiful for me to read um, as a young person. Um, so I guess I'm trying to flesh them out now in my own work. Yeah, and I think that I remember growing up, uh, I think uh, there was certain time periods where uh, in college and such where, you know, the, you start, I started to become aware of like, you know, the use of like pronouns and, mm-hmm. and gender identifying right. and all these kinds of things and, and how as a society we're starting to uh, raise the awareness in the general discourse about uh, gender non-binary and all right, these things are right. entering our dialogue more prevalently, uh, prevalent in a more prevalent way, and also how there's been a reaction or counter-reaction, absolutely uh, pushback, if you will, yep. um, and how uh, the narrative has always been, oh, it's just, it's just words, but the mm, words are yeah. carried with them a lot of weight, and I think that, and as poets, I think we recognize that words are so powerful and so right, powerful. like. I, I've had people who are opposed to it. They're like, it's too hard. It's too hard to like remember people's pronouns or yeah. something, or they don't understand it. I, I had someone who I love dearly who said, um, you know, well, these millennials, like it's cool to be like genderqueer, gender fluid, or trans. And I'm like, if you love someone, you need to meet them where they are. If you don't understand something, just go on love. You know what I mean? Um, practice, practice using the pronoun they or something. Um, for a trans person, I actually, I heard, um, the advice that you shouldn't remember them as their, like, as their other gender. I don't, I don't know the best way to say this, but just go back and put their, their pronoun over everything. So like if the person identifies as a man now, just go back into your memories and they were a man this entire time or something. So 
My, yeah, once again, yeah. returning to the humanization, not seeing yeah. not other kind people, not making the other, but seeing them as we see ourselves, like identifying, Absolutely. identifying that I would want that for myself. Right. If that makes that person comfortable in yeah. their skin, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're all just trying to do our best. We're all just freaking beautiful people. Like, I think of so many artists who are just kick-ass people. Um, you know, shaking it up, and we should be proud of them and their identities too. Very good. So, as I close up, I want to ask you some of the questions I asked all the uh, guests about what they're consuming and what sure. what's coming up for you as a consumer. Uh, whether it be in art or in poetry or anything that's coming up for you that you're, uh, or movies even yeah. something's coming up for you that you've been. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm super excited about Aldrin Valdez. Uh, they have a book coming out um, this October from Nightboat Books. It's called. ESL or you weren't here. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Sometimes I screw that up. But, um, he, sorry, they are a Pinoy painter. Um, I just did it myself. Um, and write about just gorgeous heritage and it's like a mythic collection. I actually just saw at BAM um, Emily Dickinson's Wild Nights. And I studied poetry in undergrad and graduate school. And I had heard rumors that she was like a lesbian poet. But this goes into her manuscript where you can actually see infrared technology where her editor erased a woman's name. I think it was Sue or Susan um, and just wrote a male name. Mm-hmm. And so like we erased so much of her life to sell her books too. like people say, you know, she was a virgin. She never wanted she wanted her poems published posthumously. Um, she was funny. She was really funny. So Wild Nights with Emily, hands down, hilarious. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the star in the role. It's Molly someone. Oh, it's a movie. It's a movie. Oh, wow. It is fantastic. Yeah. I cannot recommend it enough. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. And there's a star attached to it. It's really good. Cool. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think I did hear about Emily Dickinson's movie coming out. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I didn't hear the, the title. So it's nice. phenomenal. Yeah. It's really good. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not even doing it justice. Wild yeah. Nights with Emily. You definitely have to see it. Yeah. Um, um, and then Javier Zamora, um, reading their work about immigration and, and just broken families and, and things like that. And just really getting inside what it means to be separated from a family or a country um, when other people have so much privilege and, and don't have to deal with that or even empathize with it. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. So I think we'll wrap up and then I'll, have, I'll be playing some music. Sometimes I play like a song or two. Great. So if you have any uh, suggestions, let me know. And then sure. I'll, I'll plug it in there, okay? All right, perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you.
This concludes the Truth to Power show in Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan. We have some great guests lined up for the rest of the month and in August, so please stay tuned every Thursday at 9 a.m. And if you'd like to be a guest on Radio Free Brooklyn's The Truth to Power Show, please write to truthtopowershow at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook at VGR Nathan Poet and on Twitter at Truth to Power Show and on Instagram at Mr. VJ, M I S T E R V I J A Y. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform for um, our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So if you'd like to support our mission so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at radioforbrooklyn.org backslash donate. You can donate as little as a dollar, and every cent uh, helps us continue to stay on air. So please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. And remember that RFB is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your contribution is tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's readyforbrooklyn.org backslash donate. You can also sponsor the show at readyforbrooklyn.org backslash shoot to power under the sponsor the show tab. Also, did you know that Radio Free Brooklyn has a free iPhone and Android app? You can listen on the go. You no longer need to be chained to your computer. So just download the Radio Free Brooklyn app from an app store or Google Play so you can listen to the independent community radio wherever you go. You can find the iPhone app by going to radioforbrooklyn.org backslash iPhone and the Android app available at radioforbrooklyn.org backslash Android. Um, also, did you subscribe to the Radio Free Brooklyn newsletter, Radio Free Brooklyn? Every month we'll send you latest news about news programming and upcoming RFB events, as well as interviews, ticket giveaways, special offers, RFB swag, and more. The emails come only once a month because we're committed to a spam-free world. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org backslash newsletter. So I spoke a little bit this episode about my collection of poetry called Escape from Samsara. And uh, this year I'm going to be publishing the um, follow-up collection that received the 2017 New Works Grant from Queen's Arts Council. The title of that work is Celebrity Sadhana or How to Meditate with a Hammer. In previous episodes I've highlighted some poems from that collection. So if you'd like to hear some poems from that collection you can go back to some of the earlier episodes in the um, Truth to Power show, which you can find the archives to at truthtopowershow.podomatic.com. And there you'll find some sample poems from uh, Celebrity Sadhana or How to Meditate with the Hammer. Also, you can go to vjrnathan.com and you can find some sample poems from both Celebrity Sadhana and um, Escape from Samsara. I played... Um, Portugal, the man's, I feel it still at the beginning of the hour. And then also I played um, Foster the People, Pumped Up Kicks. And taking us out is going to be um, Zero Sevens in the Waiting Line. All these songs have been coming up for me on Pandora in the past week or so. Um, so I'm sharing it for you for your listening enjoyment. Thank you. Please enjoy.